We're going to jump into the scriptures tonight. We're going to take our time as we study the book of Revelation. <clears throat> I'm in no hurry. And so, you know, if you want this study to go faster, too bad. It's going to go at God's pace. And um, as he leads us, tonight we're in the first three verses of chapter one. So if you do have your Bibles this evening, I would encourage you to turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And uh, if you didn't come with Bible in hand, we want to encourage you to download our app. There is um, a Bible that you can view on our app, different translations. We, of course, are in the New King James Version of the Scriptures. So let's pray together this evening, and, and uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the, the Word of God. Let me just read these three verses um, before we do pray. The Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he, that is the Father, sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he or she who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Amen. And God, so we thank you for your word tonight and just the, the simple reading of these, these three verses. We've already discovered so many things, God, but one for sure, that you've promised a special blessing to those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. Father, tonight by faith, we come to you receiving that promise, believing, God, that as we read your word and as we humble ourselves to be obedient to what your scripture says, that you have a, a blessing for us. It is the heart of the Father to bless his sons and daughters. And so this evening we pray that you would illuminate our understanding, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, be our teacher, that you would tonight lead us and guide us in all truth. Not that we might just have a a head more full of knowledge, but that you would supernaturally and strategically cause your word to be like an arrow in our heart, God, to, to meet the need, God, to hit the target that each of us uniquely has. For God, we know that you're able to do that. And God, may we leave this place knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have heard from the living God. Father, we bless your holy name. Bless now, we pray, the teaching of the scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, what you're doing tonight as uh, we embark on the study of the book of Revelation would have been considered in some generations of church history to be uh, a forbidden act because there were seasons of church history where the book of Revelation, the reading of it, the studying of it, the considering of, a, of it, the consideration of it, uh, was totally forbidden. It was considered to be a closed book. It was considered to be uh, a book that was too controversial to share with the people of God. Um, it was considered a book that was too difficult to understand. And so um, it was one that was oftentimes uh, forbidden for church leaders to read or to teach. Thank God that we're not living in an era that views the book of Revelation in such a way because... There is so much to be had in a simple study of the book of Revelation. And, you know, let me just set your mind at ease tonight. I do believe that many people look at the book and, and think, man, I'd love, to, 
I would love to read the book, but I'm just a little nervous. I'm a little afraid because it just seems so difficult to understand. And yet, you know um, that the, the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit that we might understand the book of Revelation. There is nothing to fear. And I, I do think that this has been a tool that the enemy has used across the ages of church history to keep the people of God from a blessing of God. God blesses the heart that hears and the heart that keeps the words of the prophecy. And listen, not only that, but it is the consummation of the canon of Scripture. It is the consummation of the canon of Scripture. Could you imagine reading a, a novel, a piece of literature, and going through the whole process of introduction and body and never really getting to the conclusion, closing any book of literature before you get to the final chapter and see how the story actually plays out. Like that just wouldn't make any sense at all. And yet I would say to you that that is exactly, it's precisely what the book of Revelation of it, book of Revelation it is, is it is the consummation of the canon of scripture. It is the end of the story. It is the fulfillment of the promises of God. It is the declaration of the destiny of every child of God. And so there's great blessing in studying the book of Revelation. It is not disconnected from the Old Testament. As I've mentioned to you, it is a consummation of the canon of Scripture, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. And what you'll see as we study the book of Revelation is how deep, deeply woven into this book the Old Testament actually is. Um, let me give you an example, a few examples of this. There are over 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and in those 404 verses, there are 278 direct Old Testament quotes. There are at least 500 references or allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. And so understanding that the book of Revelation is inspired by God, it is evidently the desire of God for you to connect the end with the beginning. As I said to you, it is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, not just to the children of God, but in particular to the children of Israel. While there's been um, some debate over authorship and time uh, or date of the writing of this book, it, it is without a shadow of a doubt that we know John the Apostle, not to be confused with John the Baptizer, John the Apostle is the author of this book. In fact, um, as you look at chapter 1, let me just point out a, a verse to you. The Bible says um, in verse 9, well, start in verse 4. He says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then you can look over to verse 9. The Bible says, uh, John, self-declaration as author, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John, it's, it's a self-identified authorship. Really, there is no shadow of a doubt who wrote this book, none other than John the Apostle, also the one who was inspired by the Spirit of God to write the gospel according to John, and then also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the three uh, epistles that were written by his hand as well. Most likely, all of the writings of John were somewhere in uh, the end of the 8th decade, 1st uh, century AD, um, the book of Revelation, early 90s, maybe mid-90s AD. John identifies the place of his writing, which also helps us identify the timing of the writing. He himself says that he was on the island uh, that is called Patmos for the word of God. 
and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what were the conditions that John was dealing with as he was writing this epistle, or excuse me, as he was writing this uh, apocalypse, apocalyptic piece of literature? Uh, he had been exiled to the island of Patmos. You know, John really seemed to be uh, inadvertently, I believe, uh, a burr in the side of the Roman Empire. Uh, during the writing of this particular book, there was a lot of persecution against Jews and Christians, of course. Uh, they were monotheistic in their approach to God, and so when there was some type of calamity that happened to fall, befall Rome uh, as an empire, oftentimes the Jews and Christians were considered scapegoats because in their monotheism, they were unwilling to pacify the pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses. And so John, you know, was a, a faithful uh, preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the monotheistic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it is said uh, in some ancient church literature that it was the effort of Rome to put John to death, to martyr him for his faith many times. Um, but just as Jesus had said at the end of uh, the gospel account, John's gospel account, uh, that John's death would be at an old age and would be unique. He wouldn't die in the same manner as the other apostles. And so there are some you know, traditions within church history that say uh, John was even uh, boiled in oil, and yet he bobbed around, you know, like, I don't know, like <laughs> some little critter uh, in that boiling oil, and uh, even those things were unable to destroy the life of John. He was exiled ultimately to the island of Patmos, uh, where there was a penal colony, those who were an offense to the Roman Empire uh, were taken there, and they endured hard labor. It was a place where John would have most likely been chained to a Roman soldier and would have been almost um, an indentured slave there on the island of Patmos. It was not an easy condition for John to be in. He was in isolation. He was separated uh, from the body of believers, and yet in that place, it was also uh, in isolation and solitude that uh, God gave him this beautiful revelation. It is said by Irenaeus um, that John died at the end of the reign of Domitian, and that particular Caesar was ruling and reigning from 81 to 96 AD, and so the dating of this book is put within that time frame. This is important because there are those. There are things that are written in the book of Revelation that were clearly prophetic, um, as we're going to see, uh, dealing with the church uh, and the destruction, the era of the destruction of the uh, temple there in Jerusalem, that are going to cause the dating of the book to be absolutely significant. Some people approach the interpretation of the book of Revelation allegorically. Um, there are those who say, well, listen, the, the book is not to be taken literally. Um, it is to be taken metaphorically. Absolutely everything in the book is symbolic. Um, I don't believe that that's the accurate approach to the interpretation of the book of Revelation. There are others who view this um, just as uh, within the context of history, so the historical approach the to the interpretation of the book of Revelation would say that every single prophecy that's presented within this particular book uh, was already fulfilled uh, by 70 AD. Um, this is where the error of full preterism comes from. And then there are others who say, no, the book is to be taken, to be interpreted literally like every other book 
in the Bible, understanding that there are times where uh, the Bible will use figurative language or metaphorical language, or there are similes for us to understand, um, which, you know, that of course is our approach to the interpretation of the book of Revelation. I think there's a lot of confusion that comes when you approach this book allegorically. Um, definitely some false theology comes when you approach this book strictly historically, saying that every prophecy has already been fulfilled. Um, but when we just simply take God at his word and we apply the standard process of interpretation that we use regularly in communication, well, we understand there are beautiful things that God is going to ultimately bring to pass. You guys still with me today? All right. Uh, there are 21 symbols that are presented within the book of Revelation. We're going to discuss what some of those symbols are. Interestingly enough, um, this book is the book that the word Alleluia appears the one and only time in the New Testament. Um, some say that the book of Revelation was actually the hymn book for the early church. You're going to notice that there is song after song after song as we have this beautiful glimpse into the heavenly realm and all of these amazing creatures from cherubim to seraphim to elders to the church of the living God to martyred tribulation saints standing in the presence of God and worshiping God and the Lamb. And so there, there really is song after song. It is a hymn book. What you're going to realize as we study the book of Revelation is that heaven is going to be a place where we worship God in song eternally. I hope that you love to sing to the Lord. I hope you love to sing to the Lord because, listen, if you don't, heaven is going to be one big bummer for you. We're going to be doing a lot of singing, and it is going to be really, really loud. So you say, Pastor, like, what's up with the volume here in the new worship center? It's just so loud. I say to you, we're preparing you for heaven, all right? We love you. And so, so saddle up because it's going to be an awesome time of worship in heaven. There are seven simple points tonight that um, I want to consider as we read these first three verses. And so let's jump back into chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number one, I want to just simply point out, and, and you know, of all of the points I'm going to mention tonight, this one may be the most important point because it will frame your understanding of the book and your approach for interpreting it. Simply said, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is everything in this book from verse 1 all the way through to the last chapter, 22, and the last verse, verse 21, Everything is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, there are many amazing things to study in this book, and there are many books written about the amazing things that we are going to study in this book. Who is the Antichrist? Who is the false prophet? Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? What happens during the Great Tribulation? When is the rapture? Is it, is it pre-tribulation? Is it mid? Is it pre-wrath? Is it post-tribulation? What's the second coming going to be like? Uh, is there a literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ? What is the new Jerusalem? There are so many things that we're going to consider. But remember, this is the revelation. It is, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not predominantly the revelation of the Antichrist. It is not predominantly, predominantly the revelation of the 144,000. This book is all about Jesus. It is the apocalypsis, that's the Greek word. 
That word simply means to unveil, it means to uncover, it means to reveal. I was thinking about a way to, a way to um, illustrate this in a, in a Las Vegas way. And so I was thinking about Cirque du Soleil. And if you've been to a show like, like O, have you guys ever seen O before? You know, you gather, you sit in your seat, and there's a big curtain and you're waiting for the big reveal, right? You're waiting for the curtain to get pulled back so that you can take that big, deep breath and be in total awe. Well, that is, in a way, what the word revelation means. It means that something had been previously undisclosed, and now it is being disclosed. It is being uncovered. Maybe a a different illustration would be when a monument is covered and there's this huge memorial and there's an artist who's worked, a sculptor who's worked, you know, at great length to make something gorgeous and amazing and you're waiting for that moment for the, the you know, the, the sheet to be pulled away. And then as it is, there's this collective gasp in the crowd to see the beauty of what has been handcrafted or manufactured. Well, that really is what the book of Revelation is. It is a disclosure. It is an unveiling. It is an uncovering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me say to you, if you love the Lord Jesus, the book of Revelation is an amazing book to study. And I have to tell you that it is one of my favorite books to teach. I love teaching the book of Revelation. In fact, I've taught it So often here at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, um, there are probably some people who are thinking, really, the book of Revelation again? But don't forget, as you read the book, Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key. You say, well, duh, pastor, Jesus is always the key. I don't disagree with that. This is one reason I really appreciate the theology of Karl Barth, because he always interpreted all things through the incarnation, the perfect life, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, and the glorification, the exaltation of Jesus. Every single thing in scripture points to the Son. And we're going to discover that in, uh, on Sunday mornings in the book of Genesis, even with creation itself, the Father had the Son in mind. When you study this book, do not lose sight of Jesus Christ. We may be studying uh, topics like Babylon and the one world government and the one economic system that will be implemented and the one religious system. But listen, we will always interpret those things in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Always keep the Lord in mind. I do believe that this is why there's a promised, a very unique, there's always a blessing when you study the scripture. This is the only book in the Bible that promises you uh, in word a blessing for reading and keeping the words of this prophecy. And of course, the blessing is because the lamb is the focus. 28 times Jesus is called the lamb. And you recognize that right off the bat in chapter 1. In fact, if you miss Jesus in studying the book of Revelation, you have missed the whole point of the book. We're going to see that there are 31 names or descriptions given to Jesus in these 22 chapters. Can I share them with you tonight? 
Is that all right? All right. He is called Jesus Christ. He's called the faithful witness. He's called the first begotten of the dead. He is called the prince of the kings of the earth, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the son of man. He is called he that lives and was dead, he that holds the seven stars, he who walks in the midst of the gold, golden lampstands. He is called the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, the son of God. He is the one who searches the minds and the hearts, he that has the seven spirits of God, he that has the seven stars, he that is holy and true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, he that shuts and no man opens, he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He is the Lord, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David, he is a lamb as it had been slain, he is the lamb, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the faithful and true, he is the rider of the white horse, the word of God, he is Christ the Lord, God of the holy prophets, beginning and the end, the bright and morning star, all in the book of Revelation, all in the book of Revelation. And so the tone is set for us, right? The, the tone is set in the very first words. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. The second thing I would like you to note this evening is that this revelation comes from the Father. The revelation comes from the Father. It was the Father who gave the revelation to the Son. And then, of course, it was sent and signified by an angel. The Greek word is angelos, messenger, to John, who is the servant of the Lord. Um, you're going to notice, of course, in the book of Revelation, the same pattern that you have seen consistently in the gospel accounts. Namely, that the Son always faithfully did the bidding of the Father. You recognize that and see that. In fact, it was something that Jesus consistently said to his disciples. In fact, let me remind you, John 7 and 16 says this, Jesus speaking, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. And again, he says in John 8 and 28, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I, that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And again, he says in John 12, verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. You'll notice in the scriptures that the son faithfully, always faithfully did the bidding of the father. And I would encourage us tonight, if it was good enough for Jesus to submit himself obediently to the will of the Father, then it is good enough for us to do the same. I want to remind you this evening, when you hear from the Son, you are hearing from the Father. There are many people who say, well, I just want to, I want to experience God. I want to know God. I want to know what it is that God thinks, what God has to say. If you want to know what God has to say, all you simply have to do is listen to the Son. God has faithfully revealed himself to us in a general way through creation, in a specific way through the Holy Scriptures, in a personal way through his own Son. God, who at various times, spoke in times past 
to the fathers through the prophets has in these last days, the book of Hebrews says, chapter 1, verse 1, spoken to us through his own son. If you want to know what the father has to say, all you have to do is listen to his son. And let me remind you tonight, it is the desire of God. I mean, this just is so extraordinary. It is the desire of God to reveal himself to you. It is not the heart of the father to play hide and seek with you. It is not the heart of the father to conceal himself in some way from you. No, the Bible begins here in this book by saying the revelation, the revelation. It is an amazing thing to consider that God, our father, desires to disclose himself to us that our eyes should see, that our ears should hear, that our hearts should know. And thank God that he has given to us his Holy Spirit so that we might understand the things of the Lord. To know the Son is to know the Father. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, as uh, Jesus is there on the Mount of Transfiguration and to his right and left are Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. There was a voice that came from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear, King James Version is always the best in this, hear ye him, hear ye him. The, the call of the father to humanity is to listen to the son. I think one of the beautiful things you'll see in chapter one and throughout this whole book is the representation of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The revelation came from the Father, and it is the Father's desire. Is your ear inclined to him tonight? Has your heart been drawing near to the Lord? Are you opening up the book? Look, it is a good sign that we are here tonight gathered together around the Holy Scriptures, signifying that we have a heart to receive the revelation that God desires to give to us. Never lose the appreciation for that. I want you to notice as well, the Bible says, let me just reread, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his what? To show his servants. Who is the revelation for? Who is this unveiling for? Who does God desire to disclose his son to? Well, he desires to disclose his son to his servants. It is the heart of the Father for those who love the Father through faith in the Son, like I said, to understand this beautiful revelation. But I want to remind you as, as well, sometimes I do think that as we approach the book of Revelation, we think, well, it's just for the enlightened ones. You know, it's just for those who really have a deep, close relationship with God, who have a, a definite understanding of end times events because the book of Revelation is far beyond my capacity to understand. And yet right here in the first verse of this book, the Bible says that this book, this revelation is for the servants of God, for the douloi, for the slave of God, for the under rower, for the one who considers God to be his or her master. Is that you tonight? Is that you tonight? Are you thankfully and willingly a servant of the living God? Are you that tonight? Half-heartedly, kind of like, minor clap for that. You know, I think uh, John, uh, just consider John's life. You know, he was a young, very uh, young man when Jesus walked by 
the family business and said to him and to his brother, come and follow me. As a young man, of course, you know, as you've read the scriptures, that he dropped with his brother the nets of the family business and chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He was greatly privileged. He was greatly privileged to walk with Jesus for some three and a half years. He saw things and heard things and experienced things that he was faithful, as we'll see in a minute, to commit for, to, to writing for others to understand and for others to be able to learn from. In fact, John said at the end of his gospel account, there were so many things that Jesus said and did, all of the libraries themselves and the world could not contain, could not contain all those things. He faithfully served the Lord. As we read this book, he's walked with Jesus at this point for some 60 years. He has served as an apostle. He has served as a pastor in the church of Ephesus, which is ultimately, church history tells us, where he would go after his exile on the island of Patmos. In fact, there are some accounts that say that the aged apostle uh, would be carried up to the front of the assembly of the people of God, and in his, in his state of physical weakness, he would only be able to utter these very simple words. This was the whole of his message, love one another. And he faithfully shared that message until his very last day. And yet for all of that, for all that this eminent apostle and author of so many books of the New Testament, for all he could consider himself, he was just thankful to be. He was thankful to be a servant of God. What a privilege it is. You know, I see this throughout scripture that those who uh, penned books of the Bible declared themselves to be. Now, of course, Paul identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but you know that the term Paul loved to use to refer to himself mostly as was bondservant, was bondservant. David said this, he said, uh, he's, <laughs> there's a verse here, it's coming, where is it? It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I do pray tonight that we have that same consideration that for us, we would realize it is better to dwell uh, in the house of the Lord and be a doorkeeper in his house than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. It is for his servants. The fourth thing I want you to notice tonight is simply this, that these things must shortly take place. Now, I think like this has probably been a difficult point of interpretation for many people because they read the book of Revelation, they get to this phrase, and they think, man, what is it with shortly take place? Because literally, this has been 2,000 years of church history. I'm not sure what John's consider, consideration of shortly was, but they seem to be. It seems to be very different than my understanding of the word shortly. Let me just uh, say this about the Greek word shortly. It doesn't necessarily mean in a short period of time. Um, oftentimes, it referred to an event that once an event was triggered, what followed subsequently would happen rapidly. Kind of like when you line up the dominoes and you click the first domino, as you click that first one, you know all those subsequent dominoes are going to follow. Uh, they're going to fall immediately. Most likely, this is precisely what John means when he's talking about things taking place in short order. It's a reasonable translation of that particular word. Once these initial things begin to take place, 
There's no stopping that ball from rolling. Now, you might be thinking tonight, well, what are those initial things that need to be triggered for the rest of these things to take place in short order? Uh, and I just simply want to say to you tonight, without getting into great detail, uh, the rebirth of the nation of Israel, in my estimation, is that first domino that really needed to fall so that all of these other prophetic events could take place. Uh, in fact, the book of Revelation predominantly is about God fulfilling his covenant promises with the nation of Israel. God has not abandoned the nation. May 14th, 1948, something happened that had never happened before. A nation that had been taken, exiled from its homeland for 2,000 years was drawn from the four corners of the earth. The Jewish people were given a land to occupy. Occupy is probably the wrong word in our current context. They were given a land that belonged to them, a land given by God to Abraham to inhabit once again. This had never happened before. Even commentators living during the early 20th century had written off the nation of Israel and the promises of God to the nation um, from a governmental perspective, thinking it was impossible that that nation would ever really be a nation again. And yet God was faithful to Israel. And I do believe that we happen to be the generation that has seen the rebirth of Israel with our own eyes and all those things that follow in the book of Revelation are going to happen in short order. If that's not sufficient for you, then I just would encourage you to reference Psalm 90 verse 4, where the Bible says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, uh, when it is past, and like a watch in the night. So if you're not satisfied with my definition of the phrase, shortly take place, just remember that God operates on a different time frame than we do. Shortly for us, in other words, shortly for us is not shortly with the Lord. Peter said it like this. He said, with you one day is, a, is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So we look at 2,000 years and we think, man, it is like it's been forever. And God says, wow, it feels like it's just been a couple days. So take it however you want to. Uh, the fifth thing I'd like you to notice here is that it was sent to John. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, as I read this over and over again, you'll have it memorized by the end of the night, which is good. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. The fifth thing I want you to note um, and some of these things we've mentioned already is that ultimately the message was sent to John, who was faithful. Listen, who was faithful? Please note the progression here because I do believe that this is important. The father sent it to the son. The son sent it to an angel. An angel sent it to John, and John was faithful to transmit all that was transmit, transmitted to him. Like that whole chain. There's a chain of obedience. There's not one break in the chain. There's not one weak link of disobedience in that chain. All were faithful to do just as the Father commanded. And you know, I do believe for me, it's just a solid, strong reminder and for us of faithful obedience to the Lord. You know, if in fact, 
The son is faithful to the father, and the messenger, the angel, is faithful to the son. And John then is also faithful to the angel that delivered the message to him. What angel was it? Was it Gabriel, the same that gave a message to Daniel and to Joseph and to Mary? We're not necessarily sure because the Bible doesn't say we're introduced to all sorts of angels in the book of Revelation. In fact, angelology will be part of our study, um, but never outside of the context of the key. What is the key of the book of Revelation? All right, good job. So impressed. So impressed. Chain of obedience. Look, chain of obedience. And if obedience was sufficient for the son and the angel and for John, let me just say to you and to me tonight, it is good for us to be obedient to the Lord. Man, it's not an obligation. It is not an obligation. It's not a downer. It's not a bummer, right? God's not ripping you off. God's not some celestial party pooper that's just trying to kill your, your joy, you know, or, or be a big bummer to you. No, obedience is a privilege. The very fact that we can koram deo, that phrase means, it's Latin, it means live in the presence of God. Man, what an amazing thing to consider that through faith in Christ, we can now live in the presence of God under his authority for his honor and glory. The fact that we can live a life of obedience that pleases the heart of the Father, not because obedience saves us, but because obedience is an expression of our love for him. This was what Jesus said to his disciples uh, this was chronicled by John a number of times in his gospel account. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. You know, obedience, like I said, is not some burden or obligation. Like there's just one more thing you have to do for God. God has rescued you. He's delivered you. He's freed you. Yes, so that you can say no to the wicked things of the world, also so that you can say yes to those things that please the heart of the Father. God now, let me say it differently. God now, thank you that you have given me the strength to walk according to the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, this was otherwise impossible because the Bible says that we were slaves to unrighteousness. But now having been born again by the seed of God, by the Spirit of God, we can be slaves to righteousness. I love, I love this chain of obedience. And let me just re remind us, listen, we are not independent links lying around corporately. We are all linked together in the body of Christ. We are all linked together. We're interconnected. And our disobedience and our obedience not only impacts our own lives, it impacts the lives of those around us. First and foremost, in your family. Maybe you're married tonight. Your obedience, your choice for obedience or disobedience is going to impact your spouse. It's going to impact your kids. Maybe you're single here tonight. Your choice of obedience or disobedience is going to impact your family and your friends, but also the body of Christ as we collectively as one, support each other and encourage each other towards godliness. There is a blessing that God has for his people. Uh, they lived, the early disciples lived uh, in the presence of God, and they walked in that faithful obedience. 
The sixth thing I want you to notice tonight is in verse 2. The Bible says, who bore witness, we're talking about John, speaking of himself, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice this. It's an important phrase. To all things that he saw. To all things that he saw. Now, now John was given great privilege in that he was given extraordinary revelation. And John was faithful to what God had given him to do. It's an important thing to consider just how specific John is. He bore witness to the word of God. He faithfully bore witness to the word of God. John did not teach his own doctrine. John did not speak on his own authority. John did not come up with his own ideas. John was not concerned about podcasting his own personal opinions. For John, it was all about being faithful to the word that God had given to him because he knew that the word of God was what had power and what was, uh, it was the thing that had authority as well. He was faithful to bear witness. He was faithful to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in, addi- in addition, excuse me, to the word of God, he also bore witness. The word witness is where we get our English word martyr from. And of course, John was willing to do this. He was willing to lay his life down for this, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, uh, which I do believe here is just simply referring to the gospel, the incarnation of Christ, his perfect life, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his exaltation. There was one message that John had for the people, and that message was Jesus Christ. Is that the message that you bear? Is that the message that we bear? You know, sometimes I do think that we can, we can become so discouraged with the condition of our culture, we almost become so hopeless in a sense, we think, hey, what's the point? What's the use? I've tried to share. It's made no impact. And so, you know, I'm just going to dial it down or turn it off because it really, the culture or these people are just so far gone. There's no hope for them anyway. And I think about that type of attitude. And I just say, man, I'm so glad the person that, that was sharing Jesus with me did not tune me out, did not turn the message of the gospel off, even in my persecution of him. He was faithful even when it was hard to share the Lord Jesus Christ with me. And you know, the culture that we live in, there's one solution, there's one answer, there's one answer to the political situation, there's one answer to the racial discord, there's one answer to the sexual dysphoria, and that answer is Jesus Christ. And we are called... And we're called to be faithful. Now, listen, you may not be given the same, quote, unquote, ministry as John. You look at John and you think, man, I'm thankful that he was faithful to his ministry. He did what God appointed him to do. Well, that's great for John, but what about you? What about me? What is it that God has called us to do? No, you may not be necessarily an apostle. Um, You definitely are not inspired to write another book in the canon of Scripture because we know it's closed. Sorry, Joseph Smith. I don't, know, I don't know what your ministry is, but I do know this. God has called you. He's called me to be faithful, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done popular, not well done, you know, super networked individual. Not well done, good and famous, but just simply well done, good and faithful. You know, this was one of the phrases 
over the last two months that really struck me as I just read through all the gospel accounts again. Jesus said to his disciples, be faithful, be faithful. Look, this is what life is about, is faithfulness to what God has called you to. I don't know what God has called you to. I don't know what roadblocks you've hit. I don't know what expectations have not been fulfilled. I don't know what discouragements have come your way so that you, in a sense, have been veering off course. All I do know is one day we will stand before him and all that we'll have in our hands are those things that he's placed there. I want to be faithful with what he's placed in my hands. I don't want to be concerned with what he hasn't placed in my hands. I don't want to be concerned with what he's placed in somebody else's hands. I want to be faithful with what he's placed in my hands, my relationship with him, my family, my marriage, my kids, serving this congregation, because one day I'll stand before him and I will have to give an account. John laid down a beautiful example to us of faithfulness in what God had called him to do. Um, that was John bore witness. Final thing today, uh, number seven is this, verse three. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time, for the time is near. So final thing today is this. I've already mentioned it to you, uh, but there is a blessing. I fully expect you to be blessed. Hey, maybe the teaching's gonna be not so great Maybe not as insightful as you hoped it would be. Maybe not some great new revelation in the book of Revelation. But I will tell you this. If you stick it out and you hear the reading of this book and you choose to keep the words that are written in it, God has a blessing for you. And it is promised. It is promised. It's a beautiful picture here of a pastor reading, a leader, a shepherd reading the book to the people of God, reading the Holy Scriptures. You know, I said this this morning, and I do believe it's true. What does the church need today in this era where there are so many things for us to be consumed with and, and, and fighting over and so many culture wars that we're drawing lines in the sand about? What does the church really need? The church needs to get back to the truth of God's word. The, 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 the church needs to have its proverbial nose in the book. Because this is where real truth is. Not on the news networks, not on the social media platforms, not in the new podcasts that you're downloading and listening to on the way to work. I'm not saying that there aren't elements of truth in all of that. But if your nose is in all those other things and not in the book, I expect you to be fully as confused as the culture around us. Because there's only one source of truth, and that is the Holy Scripture. When you read it... When you read it and, and you're hearing in a way where it's impacting your heart and you're keeping it, the word keep means to guard. It means to watch over like somebody would guard or watch over a treasure as you're treasuring the word of God, the revelation of God. There's a blessing for you. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. James 1 says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That when we gather to consider the word together, it wouldn't just be blah, 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 but it would be, God, what do you have for me? I'm hungry, I'm gleaning, and I'm going to take the word, the implanted word that you place within my heart, and I'm going to be obedient to those things. 
that you've spoken to me. There is a blessing in the words of Holy Scripture. In fact, in this book, there are seven Beatitudes, this may not be the best word, that are littered in a good way throughout the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you, some of you have done this exercise already, I would encourage you to just begin to read the book of Revelation and identify where those Beatitudes are. Like I said before to you, the time is near because Israel has been birthed again. We're living, we're privileged. You may be thinking, hey man, why, God, why? Why did I have to live in these times? Why couldn't I have lived in better times? And I, I think, God, thank you for letting us live in such wild, crazy times because these are the days of the coming of your son, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. We love you. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name this evening, and we're thankful that you have given such great revelation in the book of Revelation. Father, we pray that this would be, maybe we've been through this book many, many times. We pray that this would be like a brand new study for us. Not just that there would be new revelation, yes, God, we ask for that, but Father, we want our hearts to be new. We want to hunger for you. We want to come with the simplicity of faith, like little children believing that their heavenly Father has some new good thing to give. And God, as we approach you like this, we ask that you would do an exceedingly amazing work within our lives. Tonight, some of us need that, God. We need that fresh renewing and stirring. For some of us this evening, the, the spiritual life has become stale. Uh, God, even like in old wineskin. And Father, we can't fix that. We confess it to you tonight, that in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to transform and change our our own hearts, all we can do, God, is come faithfully and ask for mercy and grace. Tonight, oh God, some of us are struggling with the condition of the times that we're living in, and frankly, uh, the condition of chaos in our cultures encroached upon our hearts. And Father, we feel swept away. Father, we feel overwhelmed. God, we feel like the waves are billowing over our heads, and it's just enough for us to keep our nose above the water one more day for one more breath. Oh God, we pray tonight that you would bring strength to your people. God, that you would infuse us with faith in your son, that we would not be despondent or overwhelmed or swept away by the tide of culture, by this age of wickedness where the love of many is waxing cold. God, in in the days that are like the days of Noah, Father, may these be the times that we draw nearer to you than ever before. Times of closeness, yes, God, in fact, that the condition of our culture would press us towards you, not push us away from you. God, that we would be incited to faith, not to doubt. And oh God, we know today that Some of us here in this place have yet to take that step of faith and trust in Jesus, your son, that that revelation of Jesus Christ the very first time needs to come to hearts in this room and those listening online, God, the very first breath of real spiritual air 
God, the first real experience of spirit power and transformation. God, that initial moment of being washed over by the blood of your son and forgiven of sin. God, for some of us this evening, you've called us to take that step of faith for the very first time. God, you've thank, you thankfully are a God that desires to reveal yourself. And Father, you have done that tonight. Tonight, what we're going to do as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, you have a need tonight. You have a need tonight. I know you have a need tonight. And this evening, we've come to meet the Father. And he's present with us in this place. And he loves you. And his desire tonight all along has been to reveal himself, to meet that need, to touch that area in your life, to bring the fullness of the power of his word to bear on your heart, maybe tonight to lift that burden, maybe tonight to pour out light into your life where there's been darkness, maybe tonight to to unchain you from the fetters of sin. Maybe tonight to open a prison door that's kept you bound and locked and you know that you've tried everything and not even your own willpower or strength has been able to prevail to free you. Tonight, there is one among us who can set you free. His name is Jesus. He has the power tonight to open that prison door and to bring real freedom and life into your life. Maybe tonight there are certain circumstances that have troubled your heart. Maybe they're financial circumstances and, and you are as broke as you've ever been. Tonight there is one who is able to supply sufficiently for your needs. First of all, for the need of your heart to lift the worry. To, for you tonight to consider the sparrows in the air, the lilies of the field, to know tonight that your heavenly Father knows of your need. And if he cares for the sparrow and if he has so clothed the lily of the field, will he not so take care of your need? Oh, you have little faith. There's a need you have tonight that God is able to meet. And so this evening, I want to encourage you right where you're at tonight Whatever your need may be, I want to lead all of us in a very simple prayer, in a prayer of invitation for God to touch and meet that need. And I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight, but, but you have a need tonight, whatever it may be. Will you, by faith, bring it to the Father? Stand tonight. Stand tonight and acknowledge that need to God. Don't be afraid tonight. Don't let doubt hold you back. Maybe tonight you have tried and you've tried and it's been one failure after another and, and that the voice of the devil has been speaking to you just to quit and to give up because there is no hope. I want to say to you, there is hope. There is hope in Christ. There is always hope 
in him, the Bible says that our God is the God of all hope. Tonight he is calling you to ask and to seek and to knock and to avail your heart to him by faith, to open the door that he might do a supernatural work in your life. Maybe tonight the work is needed in your marriage. And in all of the struggle and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and discontent, the truth is this, you just need to lay all of that down and humble yourself and let God do a new work. He's looking for that willingness in your life. Will you stand tonight and present your marriage to him? just want to lead you tonight in a very simple prayer and then I'm going to pray over you and we're going to continue in a time of worship. And so um, this is just, you know, a general prayer tonight, an invitation for God to do a work in our lives. Maybe this is the first time you've ever prayed to God and tonight in this prayer you're going to receive Jesus Christ, his son, by faith, the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of everlasting life. We praise God for that work in your life. Whatever the need is, God is able to meet it this evening. And so I want to encourage you tonight. You can pray this prayer out loud after me. You can pray in the quiet of your own heart. However you choose to pray, please pray by faith. Follow me in prayer. Oh God, tonight, God, I present my life to you. God, yes, I come with weakness. And I come humbly before you. But I also come in faith, believing tonight in Jesus, your son. His death for me. His resurrection the forgiveness of my sins through faith and the fullness of your Holy Spirit I receive tonight. Oh Lord, cleanse me, renew me, free me, strengthen me. God, give me your hope. Give me strength to be faithful. God, I want to live courageously for you in these days. I want to live for your pleasure. In Jesus' name, I pray. And Father, I pray tonight, God, for, for those of us who are standing. God, please, I pray that you would bless your sheep. You, Jesus, are the good shepherd. You are the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Bless your, your sheep, oh God. Lead them. Feed them. God, into green pastures beside still waters. God, comfort them tonight that they would know that your rod and your staff are the comfort of their lives. That they would know tonight that goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their lives. And as they've trusted in Christ, that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
God, we pray this evening for strength and for courage. God, as we leave this place, renewed hope that we would be able to, as you said, Lord, shine as lights, that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.